Well, hello, church. This is Pastor Kevin, and I am with... Pastor Scott. Hey, and we're doing the post-sermon burrito. I mean, the post-sermon wrap-up. There we go. So we are here to talk about Joshua battling mm -hmm. unbelief. Uh, Scott, you did a great job teaching us through really six chapters of mm -hmm. Joshua last Sunday. And uh, your main point was God is gracious, which is so true. Let's stop mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Our God is full of grace. Mm -hmm. He meets us right where we are. He is gracious to provide everything we need mm -hmm. to battle unbelief. Why, why did you say battle unbelief? Yeah, I mean, essentially that was the, that was the, the fault of the first generation, wasn't it? So hmm. we think about why is it that the second generation of, of Israelites here, after 40 years after coming out of Egypt, why are they the ones going in and not their, their, their parents and their forefathers? And the reality is they, the, the previous generation failed to go in because of unbelief, these ideas that God was uh, not powerful enough to deliver them, that God uh, was somehow not with them, that it, it was completely reliant upon them to enter the land in the first place. Hmm. And so there's, there's just a lot of uh, manifestations of unbelief that presented itself with that generation. And so we just recognize that that was what paralyzed the first generation from entering. And so that very much was a temptation uh, facing the second generation as well. I know they were ready, but it doesn't mean that they weren't prone to fall into a lot of the same uh, mistakes as their, their forefathers. And so that's, that's why we kind of took an angle of understanding uh, the backdrop of unbelief as it faces the entrance into uh, Book of Joshua here. Yeah, and... And frankly, the way that they struggled with unbelief is very similar to the way that I struggle with mm -hmm. unbelief, and all of us struggle. What were the three, can you remind us, what were the three different mm -hmm. ways that our unbelief starts to express itself that we need to battle against? Yeah, well, and you made a great point there that really the, the ways that unbelief manifests itself in the book of Joshua uh, very much connects with our everyday lives. Um, the more I read Joshua, the more I see it as one of the richest um, gospel and biblical counseling books of the Old Testament. Hmm. Uh, there's just so many rich themes that uh, just flow throughout it. So I'd encourage you to read it, not be distracted by all the, the warfare and stuff going on there. I mean, that's there for sure. Uh, there's a lot of richness behind it. But in particular, the, the three areas of unbelief that we really settled in on were uh, the unbelief of, of fear, uh, the unbelief of forgetfulness and the unbelief of just doubt. So mm -hmm. understanding fear is just, uh, there is a sense in which we, because of our situations and our circumstances, we become uh, paralyzed. We're afraid of maybe the unknowns or we are afraid of what is known. And it's in those moments where we're prone to forget God's power, his ability to handle uh, situations like that. Uh, when it comes to forgetfulness, right, <laughs> that's a daily struggle for us each day yeah. um, for us to to really when we face trials, when a uh, situation arises in those moments, how quick we are to forget the ways that God has been gracious to us in the past, the way that he has delivered us in the past mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, even in those moments, we forget that even God's presence is there with us as we're tempted towards sin. Yes. And so forgetfulness is, is huge for us. And then, of course, doubt uh, kind of goes back to that abil- that uh, aspect of God and his ability. Um, but really, we, we see the promises of Scripture, right? They, they were promised they were going to inherit the land. They were promised they were going to uh, conquer Jericho. And yet God has given them a a plan that looks very questionable on paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's him almost as if looking them in the eye like he did the first generation and asking the question, are you going to trust me with yeah. this? Yeah. And so that just really speaks to the heart of when we look at Scripture, we see the hard things that God calls us to do as believers um, are we in those moments going to believe and trust that he has our best interests in mind or are we going to doubt, which that doubt is not just in the promises, but really goes back to God and his character as right, well. Right. I just, I just am so thankful that we can, uh, think carefully today about mm-hmm. God's power, mm-hmm. God's presence and God's promises. I mean, I have no mm-hmm. clue who's listening right now to us. But, but that's good news for whoever mm-hmm. is listening. Mm-hmm. Like our God is a strong God. Mm-hmm. Our God is right here with us, and our God never breaks His promises. Yeah. What He has said, He will do. Mm-hmm. And it is so mysterious when we live life and and the the clouds of suffering hang over our head, or we we encounter trials and difficult things, and mm-hmm. sometimes we can't see. And we can't understand exactly what God's doing. And yet we know (laughs) that God is Mm -hmm. powerful. God is here and God is faithful. He always keeps his word. So that's a great encouragement to us. I pray it's a great encouragement to all who are Mm -hmm. crying out with that father from Mark 9. Lord, I believe, Mm -hmm. but help my unbelief, right? Yeah. Uh, Lord, show yourself to me. Show your glory. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Moses, he, when he was uh, kind of struggling with unbelief, that's what mm-hmm. he asked for. He's like, Lord, show yeah. me your glory. I want to see you. <laughs> Again, see- this is this is a struggle that is a real thing for for Christians. When we hear unbelief, often we think, well, unbelievers. It's people who are not Christians. But, you know, as you mentioned there, that passage from Mark 9 is so rich because I don't think the guy in that moment is doubting that Jesus is able, that Jesus has the power to to save his son, and yet he just acknowledges that there's something that is within him that is is doubting in that moment, and it, it's a very pure expression. As we said before, there's, there's very much tangible ways that we do this as Christians um, every day in many yeah. ways. So you brought up the the war mm-hmm. motif of yeah. of Joshua, and you can't read Joshua without seeing that our God is a God mm-hmm. of war. Our God is a God of conquest. How how does mm-hmm. that? How do we reconcile the fact mm-hmm. that you know God is working through His people to 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 judge and wipe out? Yeah. Uh, this this people who are living in Canaan, um, how how do we understand the conquest theology or the theology of conquest? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a, an area that for a lot of people it's a problem. It, it gets they get hung up on this in the book of Joshua, and uh, I'm sympathetic to that. I recognize it. it. For a lot of people, it plays into that mentality of they see two different gods in the Bible. Right? There's this God of judgment and war in the Old Testament, and there's this God of grace and mercy in the New. And uh, you know, I I certainly want to try to 
to be sympathetic to that, but that that's not what's happening, obviously. Um, and so that's where we have to remember. There's there's probably two things that I would say to those who are maybe wrestling with that, uh, with the conquest theology of of Joshua, and the first of which is is. Historical context is always, always important here. So you have to remember so, this uh, story within the grand scheme of the story of Scripture. As we talked about on Sunday, this is this is about the unfolding of God's plan to deliver a people that he has preserved for himself into a land that he has preserved for them specifically. Mm-hmm. And so they are the rightful inheritance uh, of this land here. He has promised that he will uh, deliver it specifically for them. This is a very particular moment moment in history. In other words, this is not one of those where we take comparisons to say, well, what does this mean for us today as Christians? Does that mean that we go into all the lands where there are no no believers and we just wipe them out, right? And, and people aren't going to convert no. them. There, yeah. And that's just not right. That's that's not a, a, an appropriate application of what we see in the book of Joshua. No, this is, this is God faithfully delivering a land uh, to his people that he had promised to them. Yes, there is, there is some warfare involved there, but that's where we also have to remember the second uh, aspect of conquest theology, which is the fact that these were not, and this might be hard to hear, but these were not also just innocent people who were in this land. These were idol worshipers. These were people who sacrificed uh, their children to foreign and pagan gods. Um, and it's interesting because you notice that even within uh, within the story of uh, that we talked about here, uh, notice how many of the people throughout the land know about the true God of Israel. They've heard mm-hmm. about this God, yeah. and yet yeah. they have not changed. They have not repented. They have not. Uh, they have not submitted to this Lord, and yeah. so uh, that's really significant. And this is that they're not. It's not like God is. Uh, this is not like the first genocide. God going in and just wiping out people for the sake of land. But these are also sinners who are uh, showing the punishment for those who also do not repent mm-hmm. of their. Mm-hmm. Uh, their rejection of him as Lord and Savior. And yet, as you as you read through that story, not only do you see the Canaanites being treated very similarly to the, the Egyptians, mm-hmm. you know, as God brings his people out. In other words, we see again, God mm-hmm. doesn't treat everyone the same. He has a yep. special people that he pours a special favor on and he gives special grace to. But even in that, what do we mm-hmm. see with Rahab? Because Rahab yeah. is one of these people that should have been she killed. Should have. She should have. Yeah. She was mm-hmm. one of these Canaanite sinners. She was a prostitute. She was, she was not. She was a woman of a baser sort, right? Yeah. Like how do you, how do you process that? What do we see with Rahab? Yeah, it's she's fascinating. It's it's she's one of those that we wish we would have had more time on Sunday, obviously, to really camp out on. But yeah, we see Rahab. She she in Hebrews eleven twenty nine uh, stands out as one of those trophies of grace in God's hall of faith, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story um, because you see this woman who somehow God again. This is this is how God works by grace, right? Like God chooses amongst all these people here in Jericho this sinful woman to 
to believe and yeah. to to not just hear what had happened. No, she her report was about how they had come out of Egypt. That was forty years earlier, right? right. And then all these bad. She's they've heard about this for years, and she is amongst those who is saying like, I I fear this God. Mm. I I want to submit to him, and so that's why she allies herself with these guys. It's not some political ploy. It's because she wants to be a part of this uh, people who are worshiping, and that's why she desires to have her life saved and be amongst them, which is exactly what happens in chapter six when they go in they make it very clear get this woman get her family um you know she's played a huge part in this thing she's rescued us but now we are going to welcome her into this community and it's just like god to use a woman like this to then bring about his faithful promises other where other parts of scripture right yes. so one of his great promises especially through abraham is that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed well how will all people of the earth be blessed through Abraham well of course through Jesus right eventually Christ would come he would be the the savior of his people but then really of all peoples hmm. and we pick up in Matthew chapter 1 uh verse 5 Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab hmm. isn't that interesting that Rahab her expression of faith there she becomes not only just a woman, but a woman now who has played an important role in the promise of the seed who is going to rescue humanity from their sin. And so Rahab becomes this uh, important link in the chain to God's promise of ultimate salvation through Jesus. Um, it is it is a fascinating story. Again, it's only like God to do something like that. Um, Rahab is a one who is commended throughout Scripture in multiple places because of her faith. Yes. Um, and it's it's a beautiful story of God and his redeeming grace and then using that for even greater glory. That is so good. So mm -hmm. good. Well, maybe one last question for us today, and that mm -hmm. is, uh, what would you tell someone to do um, if mm -hmm. they said, well, you know what, I'm just really wrestling with unbelief and I mm -hmm. I want to believe, but I, mm -hmm. I, I'm just really wrestling mm -hmm. with fear. I'm really wrestling with amnesia. Mm -hmm. I'm really wrestling with, with doubt. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of this message, you gave us some really practical takeaways. Yeah. How can we yeah. pursue the provision that God has given yeah. us for unbelief? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's so important because it's very real. Um, people are going to look at this and they're going to still be struggling in ways. Um, but for a lot of people, what I've what I've learned is that to some degree or another, what tends to happen is that the person who is struggling in one of these forms of unbelief has somehow allowed themselves to become disconnected in some way from one of those practical applications at the end. Mm. Um, in particular, I'd say for a lot of people, the reason they start to struggle in some of those areas uh, might be with that second point of uh, really keeping themselves surrounded by God's redeemed community, right? Uh, mm. So the people of God, and we know for us, that's that's the church. Um, there's a reason that the Bible speaks so strongly in the New Testament, all of all these one another commands of how we're supposed to pray with one another, support one another, sing to one another, encourage one another, build one another up, uh, mm. teach one another, carry the burdens of one another, right? Like those, right. those are no accidents. And so the whole Lone Ranger mentality that says, you know, oh, I'm going to just stay at home, I'll watch church on TV and I'll just do my Bible studies and, you know, go about my daily life. Uh, 
that that is sorely mistaken and that's not just a from the new testament that's from the old testament here right this is this is a very clear thing that god has always wanted his people to exist within community together and so i think that that is an important thing that you have to evaluate is do you feel like you actually have christian community that you're with and not just do i go to a church but am i really involving myself deeper with with life groups with with places where i actually have christian friendships are developing and if you don't then it's good to talk to the pastors and people about how do we get you into that right, type of community right. uh, we talked about the importance of meditating on god's word right so the interesting thing in joshua one is that you know god tells joshua you will have good success and that success will be based on listening to my word and doing what it says Right, we don't want to be legalistic about that, obviously, in our Bible reading, but there is something fascinating that when we allow ourselves to be cut off from regular intake of God's word, I know for my own life, I start to I start to see where I'm more prone to selfishness and more prone to mm-hmm. uh, impatience with other people. Um, God's word is a is a healing balm to help us in those it's areas where we are struggling. Yeah. It's life giving, and you know it says here that you will have good success, and success is not based on our definition of success. Success is not just like oh that means if you do this you're going to get that promotion at work. Success means that your kids are going to automatically come to faith. No, success is based on again that obedience and walking consistent with God's God's truth. Um, and you will see the effects of that on your life. It's the the Psalm one mentality, right? You know, blessed is the man who uh, does not stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, nor uh, uh, walk in the path of the sinners, right? Yeah. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does. He prospers. Yes. So very, very uh, timely truce there. And then really just taking the time to really daily just consider again. Sometimes we allow ourselves to believe lies that God, you know, in those moments where we're prone to doubt or forgetfulness, we're prone to introspection. We think, well, God's forgotten. He doesn't care. And, and we become kind of the self-pity party when the reality right. is if we sit and we think and we actually take time to maybe make a list of what are the ways that I actually have seen God's goodness in my life, hmm. uh, we'd start to see that we're our own worst enemy sometimes. We're, we're, we're feeding ourselves the lie when the reality is God speaks all the time of his goodness and his faithfulness to us. So um, good. So all these things are so important. Then obviously the last one being that you fix your eyes on Christ, right? You're not the one who started your faith. Your faith was never about you in the right. first place. The one who began your faith is the one who completes your faith yes. as well. And so sometimes we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to perform when the reality is we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and notice it says perfecter yes. of our faith. Um, and so stop that living in our own news. strength. So, yeah, these are just they're some practical tips. They don't encompass everything, but there are some things that we very clearly see in uh, the book of Joshua for sure. God is so gracious. Mm-hmm. He's a God of amazing grace, and he provides everything that we need to mm-hmm. battle our unbelief so that even when we are faithless... He remains mm-hmm. faithful still, it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, because mm-hmm. God cannot deny himself. What an amazing God we have. Church, I pray that mm-hmm. this is encouraging to you as you continue to 
battle fear and forgetfulness and doubt, just know that our God is strong. Our God is with you. Mm -hmm. And our God always keeps his promises. Now, the unique thing is next week, we're going to have a guest on this show because oh, you yeah. won't be here. Right? That's right. You're not going to be here. And we have somebody for the first time in a long time that's new in the pulpit this Sunday. <laughs> Pastor Tyson Smith. Ooh, right? you're gonna so, you're gonna let the <clears throat> let the secret out. Yeah, I love oh it. yes, no, it's gonna be great. So next week you're gonna you're gonna get a little different flavor with the podcast here. As uh, we'll have uh, Tyson sit down with myself and we'll debrief his coming sermon that he's doing on David and Goliath. That is gonna be fantastic. I, we've already gotten a little bit of a teaser this week, so we're not gonna spoil all the fun yeah, for you. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. Sunday, but we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday church. And again, if you ever have any questions after these sermons, shoot us an email on Monday. We'd be happy to include those in our podcast. Have a great week. Yes, God bless.